pray with me? Lord Jesus, you have come that we might have life. You are the source of life, and you are even now in our midst. Lord, I pray that we would lean into you this morning, that we would believe in you, we would trust you, that we would entrust ourselves to you, that we would receive from you this incredible nourishment that you give through your very self. And we pray this in your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Man, I am just, I, have, I am feeling so blessed this morning. I'm so deeply grateful. Um, I just returned from, from Israel from two weeks in Israel. I can't believe it was two weeks ago tonight that I left for the Holy Lands. And I did, um, you know, I kind of went through a lot of the different places that Jesus and a lot of the Old Testament prophets were and retraced his steps in Galilee and all the significant spots and main, main events and miracles and teachings that he gave and then came down into Jerusalem um, where he, uh, he was uh, condemned, judged, suffered, died, was buried, and then rose again and ascended to the Father. I mean, I was in this place, this land that was um, where it all happened. And uh, I was blessed right away when I, I landed, actually it was the, the, the next morning, I should say. We got in late in Jerusalem and then went to sleep, but our luggage had not arrived. So the next morning, um, Bishop Stewart and I went back to get our luggage because we'd traveled that leg of the journey together. And we were taken by a guy named uh, Joseph, who's just the most hospitable person. He was a, a Jewish man. I think his name was Yusuf. I don't know exactly how you'd pronounce it. But he was a Jewish man and told us a lot about the state of Israel. Um, but he so blessed Stuart and me when he said, Welcome home. You belong here. As a Christian, he's saying, this is a Jew speaking to a Christian saying, Welcome home. You belong here. I, I, I was like so blessed. It would seem like a prophetic word from God. It's like God saying, Welcome home, son. You know, except he was coming through this, this Jewish man who, who was honest. He said, we, you know, we believe in Messiah. We just believe he's coming for the first time. And maybe we're wrong. Maybe it, it will be the second time when he comes back. And then, and then he says, I'll come around. <laughs> that is a very ironic way of putting it. Uh, and uh, I heard that from a number of, of Jews in Israel. But um, the thing that... It was, it was so homely, right? I mean, it was such a hospitable thing for him to do, and yet it was like a word from God. And th this is the interesting thing that I kept on experiencing in Israel that I think is important for us this morning as we go into the gospel. Um, again and again, what Jesus and God the Father does is he takes what is very homely and very earthly, and he ministers something divine through it. And that's because, as a matter of fact, we're supposed to be both earthly in our existence as well as heavenly or spiritual in our existence. We're actually creatures as men and women made to rule in this earthly realm, but in light of kingdom heaven realities, right? We're supposed to be connected in this way, or we're supposed to be like joints, if you will. That's the term that Paul just used in the reading, right? We're supposed to be joints between heaven and earth and joints in in and through the body with one another that connects. We're supposed to be connected, and we're supposed to be connecting. And yet we don't. We, do, we don't do that. We've fallen away from that. And then what Jesus comes and does in his humanity, 
God become human, God become flesh, is he comes in, into our situation very specifically and reconnects us. So again and again, I was, I was taken with this incredible reality. You're walking the Holy Land, and it's so down to earth. It's literally earth, right? And I'm, I'm walking in my shoes, and I wore some of my barefoot shoes, which are really cool because you can feel every little bit of the land under your feet. And I actually wanted that. I was walking on the road to Emmaus, and I wanted to feel the rocks under my feet the way that those disciples probably did in their leather sandals way back when. And um, it's so earthy and um, so human and so specific. I mean, Israel's actually a state right now. And, uh, and yet, I was very aware of the holiness of God. I was very aware that God had chosen this people, these Jewish people, as his own. And he had become a man of them. He had fed them from the promised land for centuries, from the soil of that land that he watered with his rain that he had given to them, and then through them raised up believers and prophets through the centuries, and then ultimately Mary, who's also born of the land and feasting on the land, and of her very specific flesh, God takes on flesh and comes among us to reveal us and become accessible, that we could actually know God through a human being because God became human. It's just amazing to me. It's this incredible interplay between the very human, the very earthly, and the heavenly. Well, Jesus is, I think, trying to help the disciples especially, but also those who might be disciples if they would receive his revelation to get in touch with some of the realities that I'm starting to speak to. And um, there's been miracles already, right? There's, there's been... Um, this feeding of the 5,000 at the beginning of the chapter. And the very people who are coming on these boats to seek him um, have witnessed that, and they're even starting to wonder, well, maybe this is the prophet. But then that morning, by the time they get there, they're in a different place. Jesus walked on the water, by the way, in between that miracle, and that's how he ends up there, which is why they're kind of curious. How did you get here? He wasn't in the boat when the disciples left, but there he is, on this shoreline in Capernaum, and they're wondering how he did that. So there's a bit of a miracle in that too, but we won't go into that this morning. But they're, they're saying, um, I mean, they're coming to him and they're seeking him, and he's saying to them quite clearly, you seek me, not because you saw signs, which is what this entire gospel is about, right? I mean, Jesus is giving all of these miracles as signs. I mean, he cares very much about the earthly condition of people. And I'll say that probably a number of different ways. He cares that, that people will be hungry. So he actually fed the 5,000. It's not that it doesn't mean anything. It's not just a sign of something heavenly. It's actually very earthly to, as well. And, and the church is to continue in this kind of work of really meeting people in the very earthiness of their lives, the very real physical and emotional and spiritual needs that they have. If we're going to be part of his body, we do this. And so he cares about that, and it seems that they must have liked it. I mean, they ate to the full, and then they're looking for him. He'd withdrawn to a mountain to, uh, I think, spend some time alone with the Father and sent the disciples ahead. And then they see him here, and he's saying, well, he knows their hearts. He knows what they wanted to do. He knows that they actually wanted to make him a king of a kingdom of this world, of this earth. And so he actually withdrew from them and parted from the disciples so that they wouldn't 
necessarily look for him amongst the disciples. He kind of snuck away to the mountain, probably the same mountain where he did the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. So he's in that quiet place because they wanted to make him a king. They misunderstood the meaning of what it meant that he was the prophet that we read about in the Old Testament reading this morning. He is, in fact, the prophet who is going to say the words of God. He's only going to say the words that he hears from the Father, as he says again and again in John. He says those words, everything that the Father says, everything the Father commands. He says them. He does them. They're speaking of the truth of the divine revelation. That's what's happening. He really is that prophet. And if you don't receive those words, by the way, the Lord will require it of you, is how it's put in the Old Testament. And so Jesus is trying to hint at, and he's beginning to unfold the nature of the kind of kingdom he wants you to live in, the kind of life that he wants you to enjoy. It is an abundant life. He does care for your earthly needs, but it's so much more. In the midst of our earthly realities, he wants to give you so much more, but it's not the more that we often grasp for. (laughs) He says, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work with for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. I was sort of aware of this way that we have of wanting to grasp life for ourselves when I was walking through the markets in Jerusalem. The old city of Jerusalem is, man, it's, it's such a spectacle. I mean, it's so crowded. And every step of these old, um, these old streets in Jerusalem, and some of the stone is, you know, 2,000 years old. A lot of it's built up. But parts of the city actually have 2,000-year-old stone, the same stone that Jesus probably walked on. But it's, it's covered with shops. And what happens is if you even look near a shop, people say, oh, hey, I have a question for you. Can I ask you a question? And if you're wearing your collar and you're a priest, it's like, Father, will you come and bless my shop? That's how Father Rand got hooked by that one a few times. <laughs> so then what, what happens is they, they want to show you everything in their shop. And then they tell you, because, because you're a father, I know you're poor, you don't have much money, I will give you a really good deal. 40% off, automatically, you know. And, they, uh, and, and they, they make this appeal. Like they're saying, I, I, hey, you know, I'm your, or they'll say, like, I'm a Christian, too. And I don't, some of them probably are, but some of them are maybe Muslims. I don't think the Jewish shop owners did this quite as much, which is an interesting thing. But in any case, it's like, because I'm your brother, because you're a priest, you know, they're really trying to get next to you and trying to get you to buy into what they want to sell. And um, it's, very, it's very manipulative. It's, it's pretty in- entertaining. I mean, at, at the end of it, I was exhausted. But, um, but it's also this, like, this, like, this, this way of being, this hunger, you know? Like, they're trying to eke out a living, and I, I get that, but they're also trying to build their own way of life. They're trying to make their own way of life. They're trying to actually make it themselves. And, and so there's this, like, this extreme um, unleashing of a way of life that's like, I'm in charge, and I need to make it happen. And I think in some ways what, what Jesus is resisting here is that same spirit. I mean, we may not be like the shopkeepers because, you know, we're much more sophisticated than that. 
But don't we do this? I think we do it. I think we, we sometimes, uh, we want more of God. And if, Lord, how about if I, if I am really faithful, I'm going to live for you like this, this next season I'm going to dedicate to you and I'm all in. And if, if I'm really all in, will you give me what I really want? Because I have a plan for my life and it's a really good plan. So I would like you to, you know, impart all of your giving and feed, feed, feed my ambition, you know. And sometimes it's a spiritual ambition. I want to have that same experience that I had before. Um, maybe it's a plan for your personal life, like if you are hoping to meet that person, the one, and start a married life, you know. Lord, I will really serve you. If you grant to me the blessing of having a spouse, I will really serve you then. And we're kind of like those shopkeepers, and we do it. We're maybe more sophisticated, but we're still doing it. And Jesus is resisting this. His kingdom, quite clearly in this gospel and all the gospels, is not of this world. This is a different nature, and he wants to make that clear. But it's still an incredibly life-giving kingdom, and he does care about earthly things. I mean, he did feed the 5,000, and he did heal people. So it's not as if he doesn't care, but he wants us to realize that these things are actually speaking of heavenly things. And actually, all the earthly things of life are meant to speak of the heavenly and the divine. And when we're really living life the way we're supposed to, that's what happens. Even the way Jesus blessed the food, he gave thanks to the Father, took these few loaves and fishes, and by giving thanks, and it's even clear in this text, he basically thanks into being an abundance that satisfies people. So it's, it's, it's really by relating everything back to the Father that, that even the things of, of now, the things of the earth are taken care of when we realize the kingdom is of a divine nature, then the earthly stuff is really blessed. And yet, this is not... Um, so it's very down-to-earth, related to heaven, and it's also incredibly, mysteriously divine. So, and Jesus is referring to the way in which um, they, they're laboring for the food which perishes. It's maybe an allusion to the kind of manna that would, would, it would basically corrupt every day. That's why you had to gather it every day, which was God's way of saying, you're dependent upon me. Keep relating to me in your life. But... Labor for the food that endures is what he's saying. That's food that endures to eternal life, not just a good meal of which there was such an abundance in Jerusalem. And he, he wants to share that abundance, but it's also a meal that endures to eternal life. That's the food that he really wants to feed. It's the, the food of new and unending life, as we say in our liturgy. And he says, it's the Son of Man will give you this to you. For on the Son of Man, the Father, God, has set his seal. This is a great expression there. Okay, so first of all, the Son of Man. The Son of Man, he's evoking a term that comes from Daniel, and he's talking about the nature of the kingdom there. In that passage that he's referring to, it says, it's an everlasting kingdom. It can't be destroyed. The reason they're in trouble right now is that they had a kingdom at one point. They wandered away from the Lord, and that kingdom was destroyed. And they're now ruled by a king who's Caesar, who's an alien foreigner, you know, in their land, oppressing them. And um, that's the king that's ruling right now. 
but he wants to give them a kingdom that isn't destructible and actually will last forever. And that's who he's identifying himself to be, is the son of man, this Messiah that enters Israel. It's very accessible, he's a man, and yet he is of such divine power that he can deliver a kingdom that can't be destroyed. Um, by the way, I'm, I'm just, I'm feasting so much on the Old Testament today. I'm so convicted. Part of what my trip was, was being at Gafcon. Gafcon is the Global Anglican Future Conference. It's a terrible, terrible abbreviation. Uh, but in that, we've got, we, it was like 2,000 people, and it was um, men and women from around the globe, the leaders of the Anglican Communion, and of every, every language, color, um, and culture that you can imagine was there. And we, 2,000 of us gathered on the, the steps of the temple for worship. It was incredible. Same place where Peter preached his Pentecost sermon. But one of the things that really convicted me is that um, I walked the road to Emmaus, but one of the things that one of the preachers said there is one of the reasons the disciple was rebuked, that Jesus was rebuking the disciples on the road to Emmaus is because they had failed to pay attention to the scriptures. He meant the Old Testament. They failed to take in the scriptures. They were too hard-hearted and foolish to actually take in the scriptures and the meaning of holy scripture, meaning the Old Testament. And he rebuked them for that. And I felt convicted, by the way. I mean, my Father Steve is a master at bringing in the Old Testament and telling us why Jesus is the fulfillment and everything in those, man, in the Torah and in the prophets and in the Psalms, it all speaks of Jesus. And then he comes in and he fill, fulfills all of those promises. And so I'm speaking a lot from the Old Testament today, but this idea of the Son of Man from Daniel is just one aspect of it that he's ushering in an eternal kingdom that he wants to feed us with. And this is food that doesn't go bad. It's a kingdom that doesn't get destroyed. Does that sound good? Can I get in? Yes, amen, yes, amen. I love that too about the, the, the vast number of our global south brothers and sisters. It's like, amen, praise the Lord. And then people would say, hallelujah. So if I ever say, praise the Lord, you say, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> we could just keep going back and forth like that. But um, this is the kind of kingdom that he wants to give us. And he says, on him, the Father has set his seal. It's like he's, and in this case, I think what John is referring to is the spirit that's descended on Jesus, who is the word made flesh. He's God become man. But he's also the human on which the Holy Spirit has descended and remained. This is my son in whom I'm pleased, and I've set my seal on him. My identity is established in him. My name is set on him. And Jesus very clearly identifies himself with the Father in just a minute. But on him, the Father has set his seal, and it's a possession for eternity. He is the Son of God, the Son of Man, and the, the Father has set his seal on him. I was thinking about... Um, one of the things that I learned in the airport on the way home was that um, there's this concept in Israel of it being an infinite ideal. That comes from the, the man that founded the state of modern Israel, um, Abraham, um, Her Her what's his last name? Herzl. Herzl, yeah. And um, so I've got all these things in the airport that talks about 150, 120 years of Zionism, um, but they say that Israel's an infinite ideal. 
right? It's not fully realized in the modern state of Israel, but it's an ideal. It's an infinite ideal. It's as if they're saying what is really true, I think, is that God has chosen the, the chosen people, they're his, and his covenant is eternal. His promises, you can bank on them. He's made promises to us as Gentiles, most of us, with just a few exceptions here. But he's made a promise that is eternal, and it's infinite. Um, I love the symbol here. It actually reminded me, by the way, um, I was on the boat um, in Galilee, and I was looking at some of the, the men that were running it and thinking of, um, King, thinking of Captain Andrew and the Red Witch, which is um, located here in the harbor, and how um, to set sail, a lot of times you have, to, you have to pull these sails up. Back then it wasn't quite that sophisticated. But then you take the rope and you basically make an infinite symbol around the halyard. And then the last thing is that you twist it over itself and that secures it. And it was almost like the Lord was saying to me by just making this one connection that in Jesus, in the Son of God, the Son of Man, God become flesh, the Lord has set his seal and then he's invited us into this and it's a permanent reality. It's secured to God the Father in him. It's secure. It's not going to go anywhere. We can continue to move in the spirit and continue to be feeding upon the word because it's an infinite reality in the finite man, Jesus. Once again, there's this interplay of the divine and the earthly, and he set his seal in Jesus. It's powerful. He's the son of man who's giving us food for eternal life. Um, all other kingdoms pass away. We were at uh, Caesarea by the sea Massive, massive fortress, beautiful on the Mediterranean. No human being was able to fully destroy that city, and so several empires after Caesar was long gone, up through the Middle Ages, used that city as a fortress. But one storm blew the whole thing apart. One storm. No kingdom of this world, no plan of our own apart from the plan that God has for us, which is an eternal blessing. Can stand. So they ask him, say, okay, so this sounds good. I think they're starting to turn a little bit, but what do we do? What do we do to be doing the works of God, to have this food that lasts forever? And it gets, again, so simple. Back to simplicity. This is the work of God that you trust him, that you trust yourself to him, that you trust in him whom the Father has sent. You trust in him. You're actually trusting in yourself. You're trying to make do yourself and your own ideas, your own plan, which are finite, and I want you to entrust yourself to me because I have a plan for you that's of eternal benefit. This is the work of God. So it involves something from us, right? There is a work here, but it's a work of God, so it's actually inspired by God, the Father draws us, the Spirit quickens us, but then we just entrust ourselves to him. It's a bit of a mystery again, this interplay between heaven and earth, between God doing something in us, drawing us to the Lord, but also asking us, now I want you to trust me. I've drawn you to me, now trust me. He's the true bread, he's the true water, the true wine, and it's really gonna satisfy you. He's the true bread from heaven.
not like Moses gave. So it's an act of trust. This is also an ongoing reality. The word that uses is a present tense reality. It's not just a one-time thing because the disciples themselves, even though they had believed, they needed to continue to believe. They needed to continue to trust themselves. Part of my conviction coming away from Israel is that a lot of times I, I make my trust in God episodic, like just for this moment, and then I move on to my own things. And he wants us to continually, continually trust our situation and our hearts and our life to him again and again. You know, uh, he says in, in, um, in the same little section here, he says, uh, come to me and then you won't hunger. Believe in me and you'll never thirst. It's very simple, isn't it? Believe trust and come. Coming to him, by the way, is like the external action. I think for us, it has to become more like um, church, you know? Where are the words of Jesus heard again and again except in the church? Come to him. Come to him. Hebrews says, why do you neglect the fellowship? He doesn't want you to neglect the fellowship. This is where the name of Jesus, when we pray, manifests the presence of God. Where the scriptures which speak out of what God has inspired in the prophets and especially given to us through Jesus, we hear the words. If we hear those words, we're coming to him, but we have to come. And then we have to entrust ourselves to those words. Every word. And then we'll really be fed. That's what Jesus did in the desert when the devil tempted him to get his own kingdom going. Jesus says, I feed on every word that comes from the Father. Feed on these words. Entrust yourself to him again and again and come to me. And the way we do that now, brothers and sisters, is here. And thank God you're here. Praise the Lord that you're here. I'm so glad to be with you because you being here ministers his presence to me too. And it's a continuous presence. The last thing that I want to point out here is he uses very powerful words to speak to who he really is. I am the bread of life. I am. John has this happen several times, seven times, most people would say, throughout his gospel. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection life. This is the first time he is saying, I am. He's clearly identifying himself with God. I am who was revealed to Moses in the Old Testament. I will be who I will be is how the rabbis often put it. I am the bread of life. The incredible God, the infinite God, the eternal God is being revealed to all of them. And he's saying, receive my words and eat the bread of life and drink the waters of eternal life. Some people will drop away, but the disciples choose to remain with him, to continue to come to him, to remain with him, and to continue to feast upon his words and continue to feast upon him in the Eucharist as well, in the bread and the wine, which manifests again and again his life. 
I, I think it's um, interesting to me that I see a lot of the prophecies of Israel being fulfilled, even in the modern state of Israel. I, I don't know when the Son of Man is going to return the second time. But what I see are just signs like the desert is springing to life. Israel actually has learned how to desalinate water. It's, in, it's incredible. The ingenuity of this chosen people of God. One of the um, things that I noticed in the desert was these cypress trees. These cypress trees are like these, they're called brosh, you know, I, I think that's how you say it, but brosh. And they're like evergreen trees that come straight up and they're, they're just going throughout the state of Israel. It's one of the signs in the Isaiah passages in, uh, 50, I think it's 54 and 55. Basically, this entire sermon is a fulfillment of that passage. But that is being fulfilled in the state of Israel right now. It's just interesting to me that the Lord has given them this soil. And they're back on this soil. And new life is springing up. Because his words are life and you can bank on them. When he speaks to us from the heavens, every word is meant to feed. And it's for us even as Gentiles too, to be fed with this bread of life. It's bread from heaven, friends. It's not just bread from the earth. It's bread from heaven. And as we receive it, we metabolize it, we are restored to our true nature which is to be people of God, the children of God, having received him and being fed by him. Lord Jesus, I just pray that this morning, as we've talked about things heavenly and things earthly, that you would unite in our hearts and in our lives and in our practices once again this reality that your son Jesus has established the reality that we're meant to live in a kingdom that has no end, the reality that we're meant to feast on word that doesn't go bad, on, on food that doesn't go bad, on words that give life. Lord Jesus, in the midst of our earthly life to realize holiness, in the midst of walking our days out to realize that you have eternity written into our hearts and that through the Spirit you feed us. Lord Jesus, these are things that are difficult to speak of and yet you give them as a way to live through Jesus. Lord, let us come to you again. As we've come to you in the scriptures, let, let us now come to you in the prayers, and let us now come to you in the sacrament of your body and blood, that we might be renewed in the real kingdom, in the good food. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.